Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm here with my co-host Conor McCabe. And as always, we'll be having a look at the weekend papers and stories of the week from a left perspective. Um, the Week at Work, as many of you know, is part of the Left Block, um, which is a political education and media project. And you can find more information and support us on patreon.com slash leftblock without the K. So we'll get straight into it. Connor, you have what papers have you been reading? What's on the front pages today? Um, I stuck to the Indo uh, just kind of this week. Um, and but like um, having looked at the kind of the, the kind of front headlines, um, there's a there, you know, there's a great kind of uh, focus on pensions and on kind of McLeod. Uh so it's Michael D. Higgins and um his um uh his kind of decision to decline to go to an event that would celebrate partition. And um, for some reason, this is controversial. Um, I just think it's a, it's a really interesting story. Like, you know, there's, um, like I'm sure people are, you know, you know, are aware there of it anyway. You know, there was a, a, a normally um, uh, religious um, event happening um, in the north, um, Michael D. He was he was asked to attend, and then it was changed to there into kind of it was there to mark the kind of uh, formal establishment of the north as a you know um, as an entity. And he went, "Nah, I'm not doing that." Like you know, and uh, it's kind of for like it's fairly kind of artificial, but it has me like it's it's blown up in the kind of chattering kind of classes. Um, what, what I like about it is that uh, this story kind of blew up, uh, this blew up when kind of Michael D, he was in uh, Rome or he was in kind of Italy. So um, he, he declined to go to this event that was being organized in large part by the DUP, told him no, while standing at the graveside of Antonio Gramsci. And I do like that. <laughs> he kind of does that. And then like John Bruton, um, which my phone keeps on saying Britton. Um, it just keeps on changing his name to John Connor Britton, which I think actually is one of the few times where kind of auto check is, is actually probably right. And um, but like he's he's weighed in, you know, with his two size 11s and Michael D is just having them for breakfast. And it's just really it's just really, really good fun. Um, the, there's. The, it, it is an editorial in The Independent that I do think is worth kind of highlighting in, in kind of all of the story, because they say that, you know, you know, that they're more or less saying that, you know, maybe he should go, maybe he shouldn't. It's his kind of, you know, kind of decision. But they're trying to talk it into reconciliation, which is a very, very strange thing, because. Um, they're saying that this is about marking what happened and marking, you know, the, the, the past and coming to terms with the past. What happened 100 years ago was that Ireland was partitioned against the democratic wishes of the people of Ireland. Um, over 70 percent of the, you know, of voters in 1917 voted for an independent Ireland. Um, only a, only. A majority didn't, and what Britain does is what it did in 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 India kind of later on. It went for a kind of partition uh, move in order to avoid a strong Ireland um, 
opening up on its um on its left kind of flank, uh, which has been kind of British policy for about three three four hundred years now. And um, so what they what they wanted Michael D to celebrate was an anti democratic uh, partitions kind of policy that has been ruinous for this island for for kind of one hundred years. Um, and he quite rightly said no, and then said is because like I mean you know. And Michael D takes no prisoners, you know, once he's rattled. He says, I've got a democratic kind of mandate. And I think that the people who voted for me will agree with what I've done here. So Becky's all really, you know. So it's 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 good crack. I mean, I just think kind of Michael D should should have actually made his statement, you know, um, at a press conference wearing a kind of black beret and a big kind of tricolor kind of hiding behind or like, you know, um, on the back wall, just go for it, you know. Um, but he didn't, you know. He just kind of slapped him down. Um, he didn't slap down Middle Ireland. He slapped down Middle Class Ireland, which is all, which is all, which is all kind of good crack. Yeah, and uh, I saw a ripple effect on like social media of like lots of young people been like, yes, Queen, yes, King, like totally unironically um, cheering him on, you know. Um, but it's really interesting. Like it's a front page story of the the weekend Irish Times as well. But not only is it the front page story. It's page two stories, all of the page two stories and all of the page three stories to the point where there was so many pictures of archbishops and popes that I actually had to check that I hadn't picked up like the church weekend times or something because it was three full pages of literally just church related material about this whole thing um, and lots of pictures of men in like the the. the the church dress so yeah so essentially it's the same story here um on the front page but it also mentions about how um minister simon coveney um the far the minister for foreign affairs foreign affairs mm. um has to get involved um about issues on this island um but yeah so obviously he he's trying to smooth things over because you know Michal Martin has dismissed suggestions as well that the Anglo-Irish relations have been damaged by this whole uh, mm. um in and in, um incident. And actually, there's an opinion piece by Jennifer O'Connell um in the Irish Times as well that's titled "Higgins should grit his teeth and go to the commemoration." Now, like she may as well just say here, like just about both like bow bow over and like take the soup and make sure that you say it, it tastes great as well you know um like i don't like it's just bizarre like there's obviously so many different pieces here on this but um yeah that was that was some of those but actually it might maybe it's like the generation that i'm from or whatever but when i saw the bruton stuff i originally thought it was that the the comments were from joan bruton but like i i actually was looking up the, the bruton guy obviously he's joan richard bruton's brother um, just to add to the fun, um, so he was obviously the ex Fine Gael Taoiseach there in 1994, 1997. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 interesting um, how a lot of the the churches have come out as well, and they're obviously outraged, and I suppose they're kind of used to maybe getting their way on these kind of things, and now like Michael D Higgins has kind of stood up and said, no, actually, this is not happening. And um, but yeah, and, and what you were mentioning about um, this kind of story happening while. Michael D. Higgins is actually visiting the Pope in the Vatican. Um, strategically, they've put that story beside all of the other stories. Mm. So, you know, Pope Francis calls President a wise man of today. And he basically backing up everything that's been said about M- Michael D. Higgins kind of refusing. So it's, I think they've done that on purpose where on the first couple of pages, it's like Michael D. Higgins rejects, you know, this invite. And then on the other page, the Pope is saying Michael D. Higgins is a wise man. Um, now, obviously, he's not talking about him declining the, the invite um, from the 
the church representatives um, in Armagh, but it's just a nice little contrast there, I'd say, um, the editorial decision that was made for it to, to spark a bit of thought on it. Um, but yeah, he was kind of just, they were talking about lots of uh, social um, issues. Um, but that that's kind of that. Um, was there I any mean, you know, well, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, on that point, I mean, on kind of John Bruton, because I mean, um, show my age, I do kind of remember kind of John Bruton and I remember him in the 1980s as well. John Bruton comes from a rich cattle farm uh, family in Meath, um, millionaires. And um, he went from being um, this like. This kind of cattle ranch kind of family um into politics, Fianna Gael kind of heartland stuff, um, and then moves into the IFSC and that whole kind of game there as, as well. In, in the 1980s, in the uh, when he was finance minister and Ireland was in a recession caused in part by um, austerity, just like, uh, you know, uh, killing kind of any growth. But they knew about Ansbacker and the Ansbacker tax kind of avoidance stuff that was going on instead of shutting that down they decided to tax tax kind of children's shoes so i mean like 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 this just the class war that goes on here that's just never named uh, and that's why kind of michael d just slapped him down with you know uh, you know when he came out saying that you know this wasn't some kind of um credit union meeting in Kerry, and michael d just comes out and goes actually Credit union meetings in Kerry are actually quite important. So um, I do think you should kind of reflect on your, like, you know, on your statement there. John Bruton is just a millionaire class, ranchers, big cattle farmers, um, who then got into the IFSC uh, tax haven game. And that's what he's for. That's what he stands. And he will tax children's shoes instead of actually um, shutting down kind of tax evasion. So fuck them. Yeah. I definitely know the story about the tax and the shoes anyway. Yeah. Um, we heard r- r- uh, murmurs of that again this year. Is there anything else there on the first the front page of the end of- Well, I mean, but then it moves into, like we're into the, um, into kind of budget season there, obviously. So um, it's interesting that, that what uh, the papers, and I think it is fair to talk about kind of papers as a kind of homogenous block. I actually do think that because, there's a, you know, there's a slither of difference kind of between them all, but like all all three are going with pensions and how pensions are kind of unaffordable. So, so obviously this is the um, this is the new kind of battleground which they think should be kind of fought on. Um, so what what the Indo has is that it's that ministers push for five euro on pension despite warnings and warnings from whom? It's warnings from the Department of Finance, the very same department that had to be broken up um, 10 years ago um, because of the mess it made of the banks uh, and the mess it made of the whole kind of banking kind of system. So, I mean, you know, this is the caliber of, of, um, of genius we are dealing with here. So they're saying that the pensions are kind of unaffordable. Um, there's moves, you know, um, we had kind of during the week both both ICTU and like Sinn Féin but coming out saying that now's the time to start uh, raising PRSI employee, sorry, employer kind of PRSI in Ireland to help pay for pensions. Like what kind of department of finance came out 
and said was that they said that medium to long term pension system, our, our pension system is 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 currently it's going to be unaffordable. So their solution was just to raise kind of pension age and they're trying to and they're trying to uh, tie it to life expectancy stuff. Um, but what they mean is that um, they had a choice of also going for a for you know for raising kind of social insurance payments. Like em- employers PRSI in Ireland is forty percent below the average in the EU. Now, if we have a system that is underfunded by by forty percent, and we know where that underfunding gap is, it's in employer PRSI. Surely the first move should be let's 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 stop that gap there. Let's let's raise that to the EU average, and not even the the kind of top rate, but to the EU average, maybe that's a solution to the unaffordability uh, problem. But instead of going down that road, they say, no, let's hope that all people just die. And, you know, and let's, and like, like let's not beat around the, the bush here. What is incredible is that it basically saying that we can't afford old people anymore. Um, so we either don't pay them or hopefully they're just going to die off. That's what they are talking about here. Or another solution: let's raise PRSI uh, rate to the EU average. Can't do that. Can't do that. Time and time again, we always kind of come back to this is a tax haven, and that doesn't. And that there's a mentality there that doesn't just come with um, Google, you know, paying kind of zero tax. This comes with a whole philosophy as to how business should work, how Ireland kind of should work. It's a low tax, low, uh, low kind of public spend uh, state. We get these services because it's a tax haven. So that needs to be kind of tackled. And it even gets down to even down to the challenge of trying to raise employers PRSI up to the EU average and to say, no, let's just let's just kind of stop kind of uh, pension payments being kind of paid out. Yeah, and I think there's a whole piece there around, you know, as you say, um, it's not just pensions, it's a whole like crisis of care as well. Like like there's the language used in the in the Times as well as age-related expenditure, so pensions, healthcare, long-term care. Like there, I feel like it's really been painted as like, you know, old people are just a drain on the state. Like it's not like they helped build the state in the first place. And now, yeah, I just find it incredible that, you know, we're we're at a position now where we're diminishing just diminishing all of the work they've done all their lives that they've worked for and we can't even offer them proper care or support that they worked for um, and it's interesting as well what you say around um you know the state wants them to die but like this policy reforms they're suggesting like linking it to the state pension age to life expectancy would that not actually be more of an incentive for them to try and keep people alive longer um or like or like you know is there that idea that like if they have more people living longer than they, they'll have the pension age um higher and then that that'll all work out for them but like then there, of course there's the other side of the thing the irish healthcare system just simply wouldn't be able to do that if you're talking about that kind of um that kind of yeah thing, so yeah and the thing here is that what they're saying is that like being kind of good a good kind of statisticians their base and their their bar for life expectancy on the average 
So what you'll have is that those on kind of lower incomes tend to die younger. Um, so having saying that life expectancy is 83, it's going, well, if you're, if, if, if you're on kind of low incomes, it's actually lower than that, you know? So do we have um, that those who are on kind of low incomes, they should, they should kind of retire when they're 60 because then they'd get the like full benefits of uh, someone like uh, Dennis O'Brien who can retire when he's 70 and still get the same kind of life expectancy from it. No, they're not. That's not what finance is kind of putting forward. This all goes back to there's a structural problem in how the Irish, Irish society works. And it's down to the issue of tax and, 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 and government. Instead of highlighting that issue, which is the core kind of structural issue, and that runs through, that's the thing that links housing, health, childcare, um, home care, and now kind of pensions, is that we live in a tax haven. This is, these are the consequences. This is what we pay in order to afford being a tax haven, because being a tax haven is actually very, very expensive, as, as we know kind of our, our, ourselves. So... They don't want to go down that road. So it's the let's blame other people. So, so now let's blame old people. Let's blame kind of lone parents. Let's blame all the usual kind of suspects. And this is, again, this, this is just kind of class war, you know? So, I mean, and the newspapers are completely 100% on board kind of with this, you know? Um, this is class war. It's, it's, it's blatant kind of class war. And this is an old game in this country. It goes back. The very first thing which going back to kind of Fine Gael and those kind of rich kind of uh, those rich kind of cattle farmers who formed the basis of the first government in in you know in the 1920s one of the first things they did was cut the pension in in income 1925 and this and this was at a time when Ireland was a creditor nation it actually had excess savings and they couldn't kind of pensions they're fuckers they are just fuckers you know so. Yeah, and w- what you're saying there around like the papers being like completely complicit in this like class war, like I was, it, like I my jaw was dropped reading a piece in uh, the Times this morning, um, and it's essentially like a fangirl piece on Glenvay Properties CEO uh, Stephen Garvey, um, with this big picture of him looking well in his little suit and, um, yeah, and essentially, yeah, so basically the whole story that it's written about it's, it's if construction is such a profitable industry why aren't more people at it and it's like basically this whole piece of like oh you know you know I quit school at 15 and I made it myself and everyone can also become this huge massive property developer that's like you know trying to uh, buy like buy up every home in the state um, to, to own it but it's just really interesting like the way that he was telling this story was like oh I just accidentally wandered into being like a huge developer and that anyone could do it you know um, it's not not in any way related to to like how did this um us uh property fund um suss them out like it's just so it's mad and like it talks about um there's a lot in the in the piece right but it talks about um you know that oh he doesn't understand why more builders aren't getting into the public uh building these public home type things and like talks about as well and I actually ironically like he, he mentions that uh in the UK in the 1988 uh, 1988 like 80% of new homes are being de- delivered by small builders and then he's like oh well today 80% are being churned out by 
large builders and like mm. as if that's like oh this is great this is like none of this has been questioned it's been like this is great news that all, where if we've just squeezed out all the small builders um and that yeah. you know yeah I, and then it talks about the government's housing for all strategy and of course he has a common piece on that thinks it's a great plan that great plan of course uh cost rental in inverted commas by the way um is it talked about being great shared equity screen scheme is great for him as well um and then this this quote of like if it is such a profitable industry why aren't more people at it like like literally that this man has turned over 1.3 million in the last year um his net income f- from the from Glenway properties has gone up 110% in the last year like and he says you know oh do you know what dear there's some barriers like we have more housing standards now as if like that's a bad thing yeah um and like this is like some sort of a game to it's just absolutely disgusting to read this fan piece that Joe Brennan um, in the Irish Times has written about the, the CEO of Glenway Properties. This is Glenway Properties who were trying to take over the public land at Oscar Trainer Road in Dublin, which many mm. might remember as a campaign around. And it's come back on the table in the last week because what's happened is Oscar Trainer Road, a huge campaign to make sure that, that that remained in public and that there was public land, a public home and public land. Um, and Glenway Properties had put forward a deal that was absolutely them just buying up the land and that was rejected. The councillors, um, the Dublin State councillors rejected that deal and put forward an alternative deal that was public homes and public land. And what did the council do? The council went back to Glenway Properties and went and decided to redo the deal with them completely against the the democratic mandate that the councillors voted the staff of the council to do um, and have just gone back to what they say, oh, well, we've no other choice. Like the Department of Housing won't fund um, Mm. what's building public homes and public land. So Glenway properties are just can do whatever they like. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like this goes back, but this kind of touches upon something that we covered a kind of few weeks back. Um, the reason why small builders are not kind of building is that they can't get loans from the banks. Like, you know, like, like so much so that in, in Housing for All, a large part of the funding in Housing for All is to try to address kind of this problem of these builders having planned permission, all ready to go, but the banks won't lend them credit in order to kind of build kind of stuff. So we know what the structure problem is. The banks are not lending to like small builders. So it's what's happened is that large, large developers, they're coming in who are kind of cash rich um, and they're kind of soaking up kind of all that business. But the structure problem is there. Joe Brennan doesn't touch that at all. He actually lets them off the hook when, you know, when, when he says, um, oh, why aren't more people getting into this game? They can't get into the game because they can't get loans. They can't get that five million euro loan from like Bank of Ireland or from AIB. And AIB is like it's it's owned by the state still. So so again, it, it goes back to whose interests are being served here. Well, the interests of the private banks are being served here because they will not do what they are supposed to do. So I mean, like it's one of the things where I do actually agree with the small builders, which is always it's always kind of weird, but they are but they are correct. Like those those kind of small builders um, in Ireland who will build in in Leitrim, in Mayo, in Sligo, these guys won't. They're not going to start building in Sligo or, or like well, in Waterford City, Eddie will with the new kind of war fund that's on the way. But like um, but. 
but he won't in in the county and he won't in like Wexford and he won't in in, in like Carlo, you know, um, and the small builders will. But the blockage there is the banks and and the state and actually having a, a genuine kind of state investment bank that, that can actually do the job, which the which the private banks are on strike at the moment. That's the investment strike they are under. So the answers are there. Joe Brennan, the journalist, he just declines to tease them out. But the answers are there. They are so, they're in broad daylight. We know what the problem is. It's the fucking banks. That's mm-hmm. what's killing kind of small builders. Yeah, I, I actually had to double check that that piece wasn't an ad um, yes. for, for Glenway Properties or whatever. But um, speaking of ads, actually, um, there was one in the, the magazine part of the Irish Times, actually, that caught my eye. Um, and it is a sponsored ad this time, but it's by Land Rover. Um, a nice, lovely piece of greenwashing by Land Rover um, titled Small Steps to Better Future. And it's talking about how basically if you buy uh, these small steps that they're talking about, it's just buying joint Land Rovers um, that will obviously help us save the, the earth um, and the huge uh, climate crisis that we're in. Um, and they talk about carbon footprints, you know, you know, that whole thing that literally BP oil literally invented um, to try. And the idea of carbon footprints was like to shift the blame onto the individual. And away Did they? I didn't know that. They, All right. was, oh, yeah. They literally made that up. It was my a God, your exercise where like completely devious and manipulative. But the idea of carbon footprints was literally designed by bp and here we are we use it all the time you know that idea of like this oh what's my individual carbon footprint um, and all this and that was literally a brand that was a pure exercise that has absolutely changed the way that we think about our impact uh, in the climate crisis like genius but scary but anyway brian o'driscoll is leading the way with Land Rover. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't get him to wear like a green jersey just to like add the more greenwashing effect on this these this two page spread. But um, yeah, so essentially like they're talking about like how electricity is the future, but doesn't actually question what kind of electricity we have. Is it is it powered by wind, water, or is it actually fossil fuels? Which they mentioned like, oh yeah, if we have a hybrid car, then we're moving away from fossil fuels. But like are you actually moving away from fossil fuels? I'm not entirely sure, but basically there's some of these photos um, of Brian, Brian O'Driscoll looking very longingly onto um, these Land Rover cars. Like it kind of, um, you joked about it earlier, Connor, it kind of looks like he wants to ask him out on a date, but like that whole, like, does he have, yeah, is he in a, an objectophilia that he's going to get married to this car kind of vibe? I don't know, like, um, but yeah, very, very strange piece. But essentially Brian seems convinced that hit by um switching over to a hybrid land rover a joint land rover um that he somehow isn't going to that he's moving away from fossil fuels and he's going to save the earth um and all of that so yeah fair play to you brian o'driscoll um but like brian o'driscoll i mean you know he's a strange because like i mean like i always think of kind of ron and kind of key thing just every time i see kind of brian o'driscoll but he's actually got less kind of charisma than than kind of ron and kind of keaton that takes skill that takes skill and effort. I genuinely don't get the whole, anyway, the Brian O'Driscoll thinks that like he's obviously just a tunnelist. I didn't, but, I didn't mute you there. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mute you there, but if there was, it's not, you but can the middle class just love him, you know, you know, he's there, he's a pinup boy, maybe because he is, you know, because he is just bland, 
you know, bland, vague, empty vessel, you know. So uh, he's perfect for like selling, selling kind of cars, you know. I know yeah. um, the last time we talked about an ad uh, on here was the Arts Council um, ad where you gave it a scathing review um, to the point, and I don't know if you have any part to play in this, Connor, now, but the Arts Council are now looking for new board members. So, Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, um, in you terms of... There, Sorry? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like you know, in terms of of other kind of big stories, there's like Slonchiker, you know? So, I mean, this is still kind of, uh, you know, kind of rolling on, you know? And um, there was talks between kind of Slonchiker kind of members and the health minister, uh, the health kind of minister, uh, like Stephen kind of Donnelly. And they say that they were kind of disappointing. Um, so, I mean, time and time again, we can see that there's a huge problem. With, again, with the, you know, with the structural elements um, of the state, I keep going back to that because I do think that's if there's something that we lack a firm kind of real kind of analysis of is that what it actually means these these institutions how they think how they operate you know it's not all like the like going back to the newspapers the newspapers are not having board meetings themselves to decide a joint kind of editorial kind of position. They say they share the same ideology. So they're going to come to the same conclusions. We can see that in terms of the HSE and health, in terms of their view of, of like of kind of public kind of health. And their view is that um, it's there, it's there to to mop up all the nonprofit elements of health, which is the actual kind of serious kind of health stuff. Leaving the private healthcare for the, you know, for the more kind of profitable stuff, which is where kind of waiting lists kind of come in, and um, and that's their that's their business model. It's one which the H, it's one which the NHS is now being kind of subject to, uh, because in their view, it's one that works. And Stephen Donnelly, uh, he's on board with this. It's extremely clear he is, you know. So I mean, um, it's. It's pretty clear, anyway, that there'll be no movement on like slanted care, on unless there's a change in a serious change in in, in like government, and you have, you know, kind of rushing short on maybe in there, you know. But until that happens, really can't see any movement on on kind of care because that's not the plan. The plan is waiting lists. That's the model. The model is waiting worrying to see so many of the the big heads or worrying or maybe hopeful that there's a couple of big heads obviously after resigning um around the, there as well so maybe w- will that be a catalyst for change when three of the the head people have resigned not at all you know i mean um but that will make kind of you know kind of any difference and i say kind of ocean short hole i'm not going to shin fan because i'm just kind of presuming that if there is a kind of coalition that part of what the sock dems will ask for and like demand is health. I, I really can't see them asking for anything, you know, or like really pushing for anything. Like Russian short will chill, she'll want that. And I just presume that that'll be their price for, for going into kind of coalition with kind of Sinn Fein if that if the numbers fall that way, you know. So that's why it, 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 it's not getting at anyone. It's just, you know, I mean, that's that I, I think is the real kind of politic of it. Yeah, absolutely. 
there's there's um a couple of other stories here as well um talking about obviously the return to offices on uh monday so um restrictions off um obviously lifting um and yeah there's a story here that's returned to the office allows new models of working and it talks about blended hybrid and balance and I didn't know if I was still reading the, the Land Rover ad still or what was going on um, <laughs> with these bold words like you know what I mean um but yeah and hot desk and all that but um yeah it's just interesting because it's something that I picked up in in the piece was it talks about like these connected hubs um of like hubs in rural areas or Waterford City which is not that rural um uh, I would argue but hubs outside of Dublin essentially that are designed for people to kind of like work from home or do hybrid working in like office spaces and stuff um and there's these connected hub grants that the Department of Rural and Community Development have been uh, issuing as well as the Department of Enterprise um during the pandemic and there, there's an example here where they're talking about oh we we as a, a hub would never have got through the pandemic if we didn't have these grants but like I'm very familiar with one of these grants in or one of these um hubs in Waterford and I remember looking it up before and it was costing more than my rent to a hot mm. desk at right. one okay. of these hubs but yet the government are giving these additional grants on top of that rather than actually making them more affordable for people to use um they're actually making it they're giving more money to private private entities that are now profiting off the back of people working from home despite us already having to pay rent and whatever I know obviously workplace is covered as well but I just would love to see more spaces been actually made more accessible for people rather than like funneling money into these private companies that are now profiting off the fact that people are working from home as well and um, bizarre that there's another a new market another new market has been created well done capitalism good job um but yeah there's another um story then as well around um crash and obviously like childcare and stuff yeah. we're talking about um people come back to work we can't talk about childcare as well um so there's a piece here where it's, it's mostly talking about personal stories um and stuff but it, there, there's a piece there's a, a a core message in it where like a lot of the crash hours um are being reduced now and um, but the fees are not so they, they have to reduce the hours because they can't they don't have the staff can't keep the staff because the staff aren't being paid enough and they're not being supported enough it's a very difficult job as well um but yeah so essentially you know we're talking about people returning to work but we're also talking about the hours of care being cut for people to return to work so what we're seeing is I think um it's probably forcing a lot of women and uh, mostly women um out of work or into reduced working uh, hours so that the, because of childcare, and um, which is obviously more precarious it like affects their career if that's what they want to get into it affects their pension so it goes back to that whole pension argument that we're talking about it's just this like other hidden gender pay gap under all of this of like how women are again feeling and it's because we, we can't even care and we've talked about care for uh, older people care for younger people there's just like a huge crisis of care um in this country and in every angle and it just obviously leads to more and more problems yeah i mean you know like you know even on those kind of points there i mean you know it would be interesting and it's kind of interesting you know there are some groups now that are really getting into more of a kind of Social, social kind of reproduction theory kind of analysis. And I do think, like, you know, in, in terms of Ireland, it's really kind of screaming out there for that. And there are kind of groups who are, who are moving into it, but not many, you know. And um, it seems to be kind of lacking um, in kind of various kind of other areas of, of the left or kind of progressive kind of elements, whereby, you know, even, even ICTU in their, in their pre-budget kind of submission, they deal with kind of childcare. But it's mainly on the employee side. Um, they, they talk about, um, I just have it here, having um, a 75 million affordability uh, package 
Um, but what you're doing there is pretty much what's happening with the affordable housing scheme by the government. Uh, what you're doing is that you are subsidizing price or profit um, instead of actually tackling the kind of root cause. Um, if every time the state steps in to, to subsidize price, price goes up because it is being kind of subsidized. So that doesn't mean that you don't kind of subsidize it. It means that um, you recognize that there is kind of market failure here and the state kind of steps in for that service. And I say kind of market failure because if, if the price of a socially necessary service has been decoupled from income, that for me is market failure. You cannot talk about a market-based kind of solution when the price of a socially necessary uh, service or or um or scheme or 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 kind of utility has been decoupled from price. So we see no sorry from from income. So it's in housing, it's in childcare, it's in home care as well. Whereby even in Britain they can't get the Tories are, are still fighting to get the the scheme here that was passed without a whimper, where you where you have to uh pretty much hand your house over or kind of elements of it. To pay for kind of home care, um, you know, um, what we see here is that there is a need to recognise that there is kind of market failure, and not use that kind of right wing UCD, you know, kind of view of what kind of market failure means, which is subsidised price, but saying that no, this service we need it, our society breaks down, so we then we need to kind of if if it can't be done kind of privately while keeping it linked to income, then the state needs to actually kind of provide kind of that service itself. So we need, as as I believe kind of SIP2 have called for it in the past, I don't know whether it's still kind of theirs. It's not in, for no, no for some reason, it's it's not in kind of ICTA's plan. And it's a, it's a, it's a pity. Um, I do know that it's something that kind of Michael Taft has, has kind of worked on, where you basically kind of have a, a kind of national school system, but it's for kind of childcare. So you run it in pretty much the, the, the kind of same way. So you make them all kind of civil servants, you know, oh, sorry, it's a, it's, it's a public servant element. It's seen as part of the, of the entire kind of education kind of system. Um, we are light years away from that kind of system um, at the moment, even though we've got, obvious kind of market failure and i mean that from a from a left-wing kind of point of view do not subsidize price it'll just end up you're subsidizing profit yeah yeah absolutely and that was a broadcast on behalf of the economic cave party so sorry for the rant but but like you know but i do think that again it's something that runs through kind of all these services is 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 is, is that um the private sector cannot provide these services at a rate or at a level where they can make profit, but it's still linked to income because we're a low income kind of society and we're a tax haven. I'll keep going back to that as well. Yeah, but there's obviously a recogni- uh, recognition that there does need to be something done by the state when they have like the, the free early years um, been introduced and stuff like that. Um, but of course, the minute you say state run anything, like whether that be state run building company or state run childcare, you're just being you're just going to be fully called the communist and like dismissed completely. Like you can't even have those conversations with the people in power because they just completely <laughs> dismiss it. Um, well, well, I mean, you know, on that point, I mean, 
I do think that is a good point. And like even you know, about kind of uh, state run, I should say public run, because you're right. I mean, second state run, um, you know, that like one of the, you know, there's been a huge kind of expansion in terms of kind of left thinking in, in the last kind of 10, 15 years about what about different models of like public ownership, you know, where it's more kind of local, it gets into the ideas of the commons, you know. And these I think are much more interesting than having a kind of top-down standness kind of state-run kind of you know kind of a system, which is a problem, you know. Um, you you can have other organic forms of like public kind of ownership and definitely would be worth kind of teasing them out. So I know that it was said in jest, but but I do think that it is a kind of good point there as well. That not everything has to be kind of top-down. It's like it's like, like no, I'm kind of ranting, but it's like you know, like God, I sound like the the the, the kind of heavy race. But those bureaucrats up in Dublin do not get are not able to read. You do not want to leave a national system to those bureaucrats up in Dublin. And what that means is that well, we have a dysfunctional but still in place local government kind of system. Is there a way? For more kind of local government in terms of like childcare and having it kind of run at that kind of local level and still being in like public ownership. So, what you're saying is locally run Soviets. Uh, is that what you're saying outside of Dublin? It is. You know, it's all power to the Soviets, but they're just kind of locally run. That's all, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Love it. Do you have any other stories there, Connor, that you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, there, it, it is one from. The Independent uh, from the review section, where it's their um, it's their kind of analysis of what a Sinn Féin government will will look like, and um, I think it's kind of hilarious to be to be quite honest. Uh, Kim kind of Bielenberg, she wrote the like article. We we get as far as the as a third kind of paragraph, and we get a sense that she might just be phoning this in. Um, she says that, um, and this is, uh, while the tricolours are, are waved in like celebration by, by supporters, the worst fears of their opponents will be realised. A Sinn Féin government in the South, possibly even accompanied by a Sinn Féin government in the North. Now, I am amazed that we have to explain the Good Friday Agreement and its institutions to journalists who were living in Dublin. Um, Belfast is closer to Dublin than Galway, uh, than Cork, right? And they don't even understand how, how the assembly works. What did he think Conor Murphy is? Did he think that he just kind of hopped over the, the wall and he's kind of just camping out in like Stormont, like, you know, has his, has his kind of sleeping bag there and, he's just, he's, and just calls himself, Deputy First Minister for the fucking crack, like, like I mean, like it's just unbelievable the sheer ignorance which you get from from these journalists who, like that guy, like that even got through their editors, who still say, like possibly even a Sinn Fein Sinn Fein are in government. Everyone is in government in the north. That's one of its that's one of its virtues and its problems. It's one of the things that got us where we are. But it's also one of the things that can't take us any further. That's the that's the tension that's in the kind of good Friday kind of agreement. They think that the first minister appoint is a, is a prime minister. 
they think that if you're making a first minister, that you get to appoint a a cabinet, not even realizing that that the cabinet seats are actually worked out by the the Hunt system. It's actually based on a on a percentage of your of your vote anyway. It's not there's no horse trading. There may be in terms of of what ones you get, but the number that you get that's set by the good for the agreement that's only in the third fucking paragraph right so this is the person now who's going to give us kind of all the insights into kind of Sinn Féin um, Declan De Bruyne who wrote a book called Powerplay The Rise of Modern Sinn Féin um, he has some interesting things to say um, he's asked about um, you know a, what a kind of a, you know what a future kind of uh, Sinn Féin government will will look like, you know, who will be in government, who won't, like, you know. And he mentions, you know, that, you know, the, you know, he says that, you know, that that there are key players who will be in this kind of this kind of Sinn Féin government. There'll be Pierce Doherty um, in finance, Ona Breen in housing, David Cullinan, his local guy, way down in in in, in like Waterford uh, in health. And, and, and like Louise O'Reilly covering workers' rights. Louise O'Reilly is the spokesperson for business and, and enterprise. She marks, um, she marks uh, Leo Dutch-Radkar. That's who she marks. She's not the spo- she also covers kind of workers' rights. Like the person who they're bringing in for, for this is also kind of phoned her in because all he's done is that he's, he said, who are the ones who you should see talking on on like TV? So they're the ones who I'll mention. He doesn't even know what can Louise O'Reilly's uh, portfolio is, and yet he's the one who's been who's been talked about here. And the other thing is that anyone who knows anything about Jimmy Lane, where is Mark Carty's name here? You've got to be kidding me if you think Mark Carty is, is going to let anyone <laughs> be a minister over him. You've got to be fucking kidding me. That guy is ambitious as fuck, like. You know, so anyway, you know, I mean, even in terms of the analysis, there are issues here. Um, sorry, there, Michelle. Sorry. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, and then, and then finally, um, if we can get into um, Aiden Re- uh, Aiden Regan, uh, associate professor, professor at the School of Politics in like UCD, so he knows what he's talking about. Um, says that Sinn Fein support is anchored in low-income um, households, but they've expanded their base. They're building uh, their support in households with higher education among people who are socially liberal, but maybe not on the best incomes. The fucking class bias that is dripping from every single syllable of that statement, because what he's saying is that if you're working class, you don't have an education, you're not socially liberal, and you're a fucking tattooed riot, you know? And that is basically what he's saying here. He's no, like, again, no concept or idea because, like, you know, he's middle-aged himself, so, so, so he doesn't realize the, the sheer kind of revolution that's happened in, like, toward level in the last kind of 15, 20 years. Toward level is fucking bursting with working class people. They're everywhere. You know, but they're probably not in politics in like UCD. 
something tells me that's where you'll find the grandsons and the granddaughters of the John Brutons and the rich kind of farmers. Given the output of the politics kind of department in like UCD, which is horrendously right wing. And um, that's where I'd say kind of that is wherever. So then we have, like, not only do we have the journalist who doesn't even understand how politics works on this island, um, you know, come writing this piece, getting kind of commentary from someone who doesn't even know the portfolio of the front bench job election thing and asking him for, for his kind of opinion. Then it moves on to kind of Aidan Regan, who gives this horrendously class kind of biased kind of view of things that's just dripping with kind of the usual kind of UCD um, classes kind of biased, which we just expect from that institution that was set up by the church, you know? Um, like this, like, I'll finish with, maybe just with one line on it. At the end of it, uh, Ed, Ed Brandon says, um, what he can be sure about is that if Sinn Féin are in government, it's not going to be a Soviet Ireland. Like, who is even thinking that anyway? I mean, this goes back to, I know I am kind of ranting, but fuck it, like, um, but, you know, this goes back to, we once said that, you know, there is a, a swathe of the Irish kind of middle class who genuinely believe that if you criticize Sinn Féin, they will show up at your, um, at your door and they'll kneecap, right? And they genuinely can believe this, right? And you've met them and you know them, right? There's another kind of section who believe that um, social democratic uh, like policies equate to Stalinism. And the people who think that are usually higher kind of civil servants in the Department of Finance. These are the people who are scared by a Sinn Féin government, which will be social democratic. That's, that's a, like, it'll be kind of, it won't be kind of center left. I'm hoping that it'll be a bit more than that, you know, but, but that's, but that's his ballpark. Anyone can see that's where it is. And yet just the, the fear and the ignorance that just drips from these newspapers. When you talk about Sinn Féin, it is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Look, it's uh, it's not doing Sinn Féin any damage anyway, it doesn't look like. It seems to be actually connecting with people in a different way and the votes are, the support is going up every time there's a, an opinion poll done, so. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and, you know, uh, like, I mean, you know, we, we can have this kind of debate, I'd say, or kind of, like, when the pre-budget stuff kind of comes out, it definitely would be kind of worthwhile having a good kind of critical kind of look at Sinn Féin's kind of, pre, you know, kind of pre-budget kind of documents, right? Uh, because, you know, because like in terms of the left, you know, this whole kind of debate in our and this issue in kind of left wing, that just sounds to me like, you know, you know, are you Blur or, or or Oasis? You know, there's a bit of kind of train spotting that really kind of goes on. It's a social, it's a social democratic kind of party. It's going to focus on childcare, housing and pensions. Now, and it's going to take it from a left wing perspective. That's what we'll probably expect from politics anyway. So that's what they're going to bring to the table. And they'll fight in the next general election on those kind of three issues from a left-wing perspective. Um, so at least like they will be there and they'll be then, then kind of held to that. Whether its other policies kind of stand up, should we see what happens when the pre-budget kind of comes in? So, so, um, so just to say now that like what I find funny is when the right-wing in Ireland, 
moves into kind of Sinn Féin because they don't actually talk to them. There's no one here who was interviewed in this that actually talks, that has talked to kind of Sinn Féin. Like, I mean, like, you know, like ICTU had their kind of pre-budget during the, uh, during the, uh, the week as well. And, you know, it's an interesting kind of document. Uh, it might be worthwhile, just, I just think about it now, it might be kind of worthwhile because I don't want to kind of be, be kind of ranting on kind of too much, but we, but we might kind of come back to the pre-budget stuff as a special and actually do kind of evict to Sock Dams, um, Sinn Féin, people, be, uh, people can be for profit, uh, you know, labor. They, they usually do kind of pre-budget kind of submissions. And maybe some of the ones from the from the NGOs, uh, social, social, social kind of justice Ireland always do a pretty good one. You know, it's it's usually kind of comprehensive. You know, um, safe Ireland uh, they'll have one as well. Like you know, it, yeah. it might be worthwhile just doing one just on that because then we can talk about kind of Sinn Féin's kind of policies in a kind of contextual way. You know, and actually say, well, they're left wing here; they they're probably not so left wing there. You know, and actually kind of. Have it kind of that way then as well. Yeah, I think that would be a good show. I'd start to look at the ICTU pre-budget as well and be good to kind of compare and contrast to, to what else is on the table this year, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. And um, there was actually a story, Connor, that you mentioned to me earlier um around Car- I, I'm surprised I forgot to bring it up when we were talking about uh, Glen Bay properties, but Karen Holmes also has a very tiny little article in um, the Irish Times, and I think it was in the Indo as well, around uh, former Enterprise Ireland chief executive Julie Cinnamon has been appointed mm. to the board of the Irish builder, Karen Holmes. That's a nice little lineage, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 a small piece on page 42 of the kind of business section in, in, in the Indo. And, you know, she's a former head of, uh, of Can Enterprise Ireland, and she's now on the board of, like, Karen Holmes. And again, you know, there's a couple of ways of kind of looking at this. And the one that is usually kind of seen is that, oh, well, this gets into crony kind of capitalism, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't actually take that view kind of with this. What I see here again is that there's a shared kind of ideology. Um, there's nothing that the Enterprise Ireland would do that's in conflict to the property kind of strategies of companies like kind of Karen Holmes. Um, Enterprise Ireland um, is in the main, is geared towards the, uh, the interests of kind of multinationals. And that even gets the, down to like startups. Um, it builds up kind of startups um, to a place where they can then be kind of bought out by kind of multinationals. A few make it through, like Stripe, but very, very few don't get kind of bought out. Um, so in many ways, going back to the cattle stuff, uh, same as like small farmers, it used to raise cattle for a year and then sell them on to the big ranchers in Mead, John Bruden's kind of family. He would then make millions then from that. Similarly here, we're, we're raising these kind of small kind of companies to be bought out. And, and Enterprise Ireland are totally on board with that. Again, going back to the structural kind of problems, what we should be doing is building up kind of companies that can become exporters based in Ireland themselves. And that is not the whole kind of strategy. So for a CEO of, of like Enterprise Ireland to move into kind of caring homes, um, it just shows that shared kind of ideology, that shared kind of thinking, that they're all on the same kind of plate and they all see this as completely normal when in fact it's not. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? 
Um, there's actually another story um, on the same page as I was reading that piece um, on Costa Coffee, actually. Um, and it's a worker's win. Um, so Co- Costa Coffee um, had an issue with one of their managers um, and they had to pay 20,000 out compensation over a sexual harassment case. Um, so there's a, this kind of struck me because I've worked in hospitality before, but essentially um, a young female worker, 19 years old, had a manager who was like, being an absolute weirdo um to be to be um to be frank about it yeah essentially he was like egging on other male baristas to like mm. draw like uh genitalia in in the um on the coffee and like send it into the work group chat he sent a picture of himself in santi panties um before the work christmas party and then like egging people on like lucky person gets them and all of this mm. um yeah so essentially what happened was they actually went to the workplace relations um, co- uh, commission first and um, their, the settlement wasn't in line with what it should have been. Um, so mm. they brought it to the labour court. And it's actually this uh, guy, Richard Grogan, who I'm seeing the name of loads now with workers' rights stuff. I don't know if people have uh, followed him on Instagram, actually, I'd recommend. But he does lots of this uh, workers' rights stuff in a really digestible oh, great. way. Really oh, accessible, really great. Okay. And he's gone a bit, little bit viral, I think, on Instagram. But it's, it's a great way for kind of people to connect with uh, easily digestible ways to be like this is what your rights are at work um, but he's after taking a number of cases recently that have done really well and I think this is essentially a, kind of a landmark case like you know that you know you can actually put if you are being sexually harassed in the workplace there's a chance here that you can win a case and that this is not tolerable and it's a great mm-hmm. win I think for hospitality workers right. so we've seen in the most recent reports how extensive um, harassment is so I think Costa have I'm not sure what the exact extent of what the manager has done they just set a penalty but they've now have to um introduce like proper policies uh, anti-harassment and sexual harassment policies um, and social media policies which they should have had in the first place but like all of that being so rife in hospitality but mm. that's mentioned in the paper but when, when you talk about other workers wins there's a couple of other things that happened this week that are not mentioned in the paper so I want to mention so one of them being, um, I, I actually read it in Reuters during the week, was a huge win in Italy uh, with Amazon workers. Incredible. Um, so essentially what the Amazon workers have done in Italy is they've struck a deal um, where basically the, the union is now being recognised by Amazon. Um, they're going to be able to, they did have a strike earlier on in the year um, at the height of the uh, COVID crisis when their delivery drivers were just completely overworked. We remember there was huge um, amount of online ordering and huge delays and like obviously the, the workers um, in the back end there, they did strike at that point. But now they've actually progressed to the point where they now have union recognition and they have a say in any job openings, any job trainings. Um, and it's just, it's a really good win, like especially with such a huge company company actually it comes off the back obviously off the loss in Alabama in Amazon Amazon there where we where we saw like massive and anti-union campaign the most ridiculous tactics I've ever heard of like where they had like programmed the traffic lights to turn quicker so that union organizers couldn't speak to them in the cars when they were waiting at the traffic lights bizarre stuff Mm. um and then it also kind of ties in with like the election of Sharon Graeme. Sharon Graeme is really uh, in Unite. She's um, as general secretary has been pushing, you know, we're going to get Amazon, we're going to get Amazon. So this is really good. And she's talking about working um, across regions and across countries as well. So this could be the start of this of a, a domino effect. It's really exciting to see it. And um, that union recognition piece as well. Another story as well that was actually in the Irish Times earlier on in the week, but wasn't in the weekend um, edition, was um, Aer Lingus staff. So they were put that they had a, a deal put forward to them, and um, which they actually rejected. And um, so now there's this whole like 
Aer Lingus are threatening them with more cuts if they don't accept the deal. That this whole idea of like paying off. So we'll have to see what comes from that. But I said it just give both of them a mention mm. because before we finish up. Connor, do you have any other stories that you'd like to cover before? No, I mean, you know, like just 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 like, you know, in in terms of those stories, there was one which you didn't kind of mention, and it's the one that went viral, and that was the Alfie's kind of restaurant. And uh, and uh, and the kind of 30 kilos of of like five cent kind of coppers, which the Bishiona kind of paid um, a student uh, his, his kind of final wages in. And not the first time he's done this, by the sounds of it, as, uh, as well, like, you know. So, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it, it ties into, you know, even at that kind of, even at that kind of level, um, just, you know, there's a weakness here in terms of kind of workers' rights, not in terms of the rights, but in terms of, you know, of actually getting them kind of realised, you know. And like, you know, like that was a really kind of shocking story. It's gone viral. I hope people mm. will kind of boycott kind of Alfie's kind of restaurant or kind of bar, just wherever it is. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm too old for, <laughs> I'm too old for like so. Set William Street anyway, you know. Well, I was, I was on Set William Street last night and I passed it and uh, they have a buzzing. sign at the front door looking for staff. <laughs> No way, seriously. Yeah, so obviously they can't hold any staff if they're like, being that yeah. disgraceful to them. Um, but yeah, that image of the big bucket of coins, like I've heard yeah. um, since actually that you don't actually have to accept that as legal tender because... No, like, no, it's it, it's in law. The, like, I mean, mm. um, I know this from my kind of money kind of you know studies, but like they, it, there's a maximum of like 50 coins which you have to, which you, which you do kind of have to accept but then after that not like you know yeah and he had something like but 7,000 it, coins in that bucket like yeah yeah but your man probably thought, but it, it, it probably thought just at the time like you know it gets into you know it's extremely intimidating as we all know to take on bosses even and then for your last kind of you know kind of paycheck then as well like it's so intimidating that's why trade unions are kind of so important yeah absolutely it kind of reminds me of that um story from a few years back where like someone tried to like was it samsung paid apple like one billion uh whatever they would like sued each other or whatever and like samsung paid apple one billion by sending 30 trucks full of five cent coins so obviously uh the owner and alfie is there got a bit of inspiration but massively <laughs> backfired on him anyway um there's a couple of people saying that what they passed alfie's or earlier on in the day and it was empty um so i can obviously encourage people to continue boycotting them um Absolutely. but yeah but i think we'll leave it at that we'll wrap it up here it's been the week at work and thank you so much to my co-host connor and from myself um of course uh, just another plug the week at work is a part of the left block and um, political education project do um, uh, share us uh, share us listen uh, tell your friends um, and spread the word and we'll be back again next week thanks very much <laughs> <laughs>